Ezekiel chapter 22 is our text. Wednesday night, we're gonna continue to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible. And we draw our text on Sunday morning from that upcoming study. Uh, so <clears throat> why don't you grab it, turn to 20, 22, and we're gonna start in verse 23 for today's study. It says in Ezekiel 22, verse 23, and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, say unto her, thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things and they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and dis, uh, divining lies unto them, saying, thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath their own way have I recompensed unto upon their heads, saith the Lord God. One of the things about reading the Bible is oftentimes it feels somewhat like you're looking in the mirror. And culturally in our society, as I read this about the Jews of that day, I see an ugly parallel of the world that we live in today. That is a world that is opposed to God and oppressing the poor. And um, you know, there's no difference between the, the, the holy and the profane. That verse there, in fact, there's four people groups that are indicted by the Lord through Ezekiel the prophet. This is a pretty brutal word Ezekiel gives to the people of that day. And he nails down four people. The first group is the prophets in verse 25. The prophets are like roaring lions, you know, with their prey, chomping down on their prey. The prophets were supposed to be blessing the people, not chomping down on the people. The, the priests were supposed to separate that which was holy and, and be separate. Remember the Bible says, be separate, come ye out from among them. That is, come out from the world and be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. But there was no difference between the priests and the profane, the holy things that were supposed to be in the temple and the abominable things that were in the world. No difference. And then the princes, which that's another word for their leaders. You might even say politicians because the princes of Jerusalem were actually the politicians. What were they doing? 
It says they were like wolves chomping down on their prey and shedding blood and destroying souls. And what were they doing that? To get dishonest gain. Oh, I'm so glad our politicians today don't do that. <laughs> chomping down on society so that they can gain. Oh my goodness. You see, whether you're a politician or prince, it also blames the people in verse 29. The, the people of the land have used oppression, exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and the needy, and have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Everybody gets indicted by Ezekiel, the prophets, the priests, the princes, the people, all of them, because they were so far gone from what the Lord wanted for them. God's chosen people, the Jews, Jerusalem should have been a, a place that was a city set on a hill, an example of what godliness and holiness was like. But because they blew off God and worshiped idols and did all kinds of ugly, evil stuff, the Lord now, after centuries of this, the Lord's saying, you're going down. And really, this is quite hopeless when you look at this. One thing you need to remember as we read the Bible and see this in Ezekiel, in, in a way, this is sort of a microcosm of Jerusalem and Judea, but much of Ezekiel, as he's the prophet of not just that age, but a prophet of all the ages, as he begins to talk about the millennial kingdom and the future and the, the end times and the latter days, Ezekiel talks about that stuff. But it's almost like this is a precursor or a foreshadow of what's gonna happen to the whole world. The whole world you know, is, is a place now where we don't know the holy from the profane and the, and the prophets and the priests, the pastors that should be preaching the Bible or preaching stuff that's not even of God. Saying, thus saith the Lord, but the Lord doesn't even say, the Lord hasn't even spoken to them. You know, it's an interesting thing that we see when we look in the Bible because we do look in the mirror somewhat and it makes me uncomfortable because I realize, wow, we're just like these people. Our society is maybe even worse than these people. Oh, Brett, we're not worse than, than those people. They were worshiping Moloch and sacrificing babies on the altar there. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing when we do abortion in our society and act like it's okay. It's such an amazing thing. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that we do surgery on, on babies that are, you know, we, even in vitro surgeries where a baby's less than a pound and they do surgeries on them to, and they save the precious little life. That same doctor can then go in the next room over and take out a baby and kill it that's in its last trimester nowadays. Like this is amazing what we do culturally and we call it okay. Medical science is struggling, by the way, with that notion. Man, we save little babies uh, that are the same baby that can be aborted. And we act like we're a better culture. 61 million babies aborted since Roe versus Wade. To me, um, that's gonna, that someday we're gonna have to stand before the Lord and, and answer for that, unless you've been forgiven of your sins and stand before the Lord with, with the righteousness of Christ behind you. Without that, we're all toast. But I see a culture not knowing the holy from the profane, calling good evil and evil good. But here's what's interesting. There's a tiny bit of hope, but it goes un unrendered. And even in our text, there's a little bit of hope. And that is the Lord says, I was looking for someone who would stand in the gap. Did you see that right there in verse 30? The Lord said, I sought for a man among them, among all those miserable, wretched, godless sinners. I was looking for one man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. 
that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So, verse 31, I poured out my indignation, consumed them in the fire of my wrath. That, by the way, is what's gonna happen in the end times. Read, you know, 2 Peter chapter three, it says the Lord's gonna destroy this world with a fervent heat. The same wrath, the same judgment's coming down. And it makes me wonder, is the Lord doing the same thing today, only globally? There he was looking, seeking out a man who would stand in the gap. Is the Lord seeking out a man or a woman today who would stand in the gap of a, of a very similar culture as these people? And, and what in the world does it mean to stand in the gap? Uh, and why was God looking for someone? Can't God just make stuff happen? Why was he looking for a person to do something? You see, this starts to raise some interesting questions that I think are important for us. The idea of standing in the gap, well, this isn't a brand new topic. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 13, a few weeks ago, we read about this standing in the gap, by the way. That same standing in the gap was in Ezekiel 13. There it says, um, O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the desert. You have not gone up into the gaps neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. So what is this? Now, some of your margins, by the way, if you have the uh, margin reference Bible, <clears throat> the word for gap is breach. What is this whole standing in the gap and building up a hedge? Um, the, the King James Version uses that word hedge and, and that's translated to modern times. And so have you ever, maybe if you're newer to Christianity and you start hearing people pray, there's kind of a Christianese that we use and people go, I don't get some of this language that Christians use. Have you ever heard a Christian, Lord, I pray that you just put a hedge around that person or, or our children put a hedge around them for safety. And you might say, man, I don't know. Why not pray for a concrete wall? Like, is, is Satan afraid of Arborvita? Um, like, like, does he not have pruning shears? Uh, oh, a hedge, I can't do anything about that. You know, like, is that Satan? Well, as it turns out, the word hedge in the, in the old English of the King James is the same word for a wall. Um, that's the same thing. Uh, it just later became a, a plant, a privet or whatever. Um, so, so as it turns out that when you pray for a hedge, or in this case, in these verses we're reading today, that, that, that somebody should have repaired the wall. That's what it's saying, repairing the breach, the hole in the wall. Nobody repaired the hole and nobody's willing even to stand in the gap or in the breach. So if you could picture an ancient city wall that was to protect the people inside the city from the army that's outside of the wall. If the wall was rammed with a battering ram and a hole was broken, you needed somebody to stand in the gap. You needed to get your top soldiers and put them right in the gap because otherwise they would flood into the city and you had to seal the gap, stand in the gap or else it's going down. That's the language that's being used here. The Lord says, I was looking for in a spiritual sort of you know, uh, way, someone to stand in the gap. The, the, the morality has been broken, the wall, the, the, the spirituality is just non-existent and no one was willing to stand in the gap. What does this mean to stand in the gap when, when the Bible uses this phrase? And, and what is Ezekiel talking about? Well, as it turns out, the best commentary on the Bible, does anybody know what it is? Correct. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So when you're looking for this idea of what does it mean to stand in the gap, you, there's a couple scriptures that are help, helping us to define this concept of standing in the gap. You can jot these down in your notes if you want. Psalm 106, 
Verses 19 through 23, we'll start there to, to sort of learn what it means to stand in the gap or in the breach, uh, as, the, as the word is often translated. In Psalm 106:19, it says this, they, the children of Israel, made a calf in the Mount of Horeb, which is the same name of Sinai, and worshiped the molten image. <clears throat> and thus they changed their glory into similitude of an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God their savior, which done, had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things in the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. What happened? When the children of Israel made the golden calf, you guys remember the story. Moses had been up on the mountain for a long time. They were like, where's Moses? What are we paying the dude for? Like that guy's been gone forever. Forget Moses and forget his God. Let's, let's make God. So they made Aaron take the gold that they took from Egypt and, and they put it in the fire and made a molten image of a golden calf. And they started to worship and they stripped their clothes off and nakedly danced around this golden calf. There they were down there in the valley. <laughs> Big party, a calf party, busting a move down there nakedly by this calf. It was an abomination. And, and Moses hears the noise down there and the Lord says, Moses, you better get down there. They're, the children are, are, are doing sinful stuff. But when Moses came down, something happened where the Lord was gonna destroy the people during that time, but something happened that changed that. It's that Moses stood in the breach. That's what it says right here in Psalm 106, in verse 23, therefore, the Lord said, I will destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach or in the gap to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Well, what happened there? What, what does it mean for Moses to stand in the gap? Well, that's where you go to our second text that defines what it means to stand in the gap. Exodus 32, 10. It tells us there in the actual story of the golden calf incident, it says in verse 10, the Lord says, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them and will make of thee, Moses, a great nation. I wonder if this was a temptation for Moses. Like, like, what was the Lord doing? Moses, tell you what, I'm gonna fry all these people. Step aside, we'll fry these, and we'll make, we'll make of you. No longer will children at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship sing in Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons. Had many sons had Father Abraham. They won't sing that anymore. They'll sing Father Moses. Because we'll destroy Abraham and all the Jews because they, they made a golden calf. So Moses, you're gonna be the dude. You'll be the father of a mighty nation. Now, if I were Moses, I'd be like, step aside, say, okay, Lord, fry him. That sounds good to me. See, because you gotta remember, these people had been horrible to Moses. For a long time, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Wait a minute, you guys were slaves in Egypt. You were being whipped under the tap. You were saying, we gotta get out of here, set the people free. They were crying. And Moses delivered. He took them out of the land of Egypt. And then they got there, well, we're hungry now. We want food, we want food. So manna came from heaven. Moses was the leader that brought them through that. And then they said, who made you the leader over us, Moses? Like they were constantly rebelling against Moses. One time Moses got so mad when the, they were thirsty 
They're saying, we brought us to die of thirst out here. Moses said, you morons. He yelled at them and said that. Literally morons. That's what he called them. So poor Moses, man. That's why I think if I were Moses at this time and saw the golden calf, I'd say, okay, Lord, you're right. Fry them all. They're just total whacked. Kill them. Make of me a mighty nation. But Moses doesn't do that. What does he do instead? He stands in the gap. Well, what does that look like? Well, that's where we read verse 11 through 13. And it says there, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? Which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he, their God, bring them out to slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people." Now, this is a problem. Some people really struggle with this because they hear this phrase, the Lord repented of the evil that he was gonna do to the children of Israel. Um, God was gonna do evil things to the and he repented? What? People get all upset about this. This shouldn't be something that should trouble you for many reasons. First of all, uh, this is the translation from the Hebrew to the English. And it's basically saying the Lord um, relented. The word repented is often we associate it with a sinner repenting. And that's, that is a way to use it. But repentance means to change directions. Can God change directions? Does he change direction? Well, God never changes. Yeah, but he changes direction. Um, there's a lot of examples in the Bible where God says, I'm gonna go this way for this while, but then I'm gonna go this way for that while. Like, like the Lord can do whatever he wants. But, but repent, Brett? Well, relented. He's tightening the screws on the Jews, but because Moses stands in the gap, he lets off the, the, the tightening of the screws. And, and Brett says he was gonna do evil. Well, the word evil there could be translated judgment. So the Lord relented of the judgment that he was gonna put upon these sinful people. Why did that happen? Because Moses stood in the gap and he interceded on behalf. Oh Lord, no, don't destroy these people. Remember you made a promise to them and we want your name to be exalted among the heathen. The Egyptians will say, man, God just destroyed his people. And, the, and Moses makes this case of, of, of an appeal. Now, before you get all uh, upset saying, well, I can't believe Moses changed God's mind. The question is who put it in the heart of Moses to intercede on behalf of the people to begin with? I believe it was the Lord doing a work in Moses that allowed for there to be the standing in the gap. It's almost like the Lord was looking for someone to stand in the gap because he's righteous and he demands justice and righteousness. But he was looking for someone to intercede on behalf of them and Moses stepped up and stood in the gap. So as we look at this defin definitive nature of what the, you know, the, the standing in the gap looks like, we see it in Psalm 106 and Exodus 32. Standing in the gap is oftentimes a phrase used talking about wicked, evil, sinful people and someone who's a, a person of God steps up and intercedes on behalf of them. To stand in the gap is for a, a believer to seek the Lord, to uh, seek him for the help of people that are determined for destruction. Um, 
By the way, isn't it amazing that in, in our text here in Ezekiel that God the Father is actually looking for someone to stand in the gap during Ezekiel's time, but found no one. That's what the prophecy said. As it turns out in the Bible, the Father in heaven is seeking out people for different things. Did you know that? I wonder if the Lord has a hard time finding certain things today in the world. That Maybe even a more potent question is, does the Lord have a hard time finding people at Athe Creek here at this church? Well, what's the Father seeking? Well, we learn from the Bible, there's a bunch of things. Let me tell you three of my favorites. Um, God is seeking people to go and do stuff. The Lord is looking for people who are willing to go. Remember Isaiah chapter six, verse eight? The Lord you know, speaks out from heaven and says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Isaiah, here am I, send me. What if the Lord's looking over Athe Greek saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us to do whatever it is that God wants us to do? Another thing the Father in heaven's seeking, we learn in the New Testament, remember the woman at the well who asked Jesus, should we worship God at Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion? Which one, Gerizim or Zion? And he doesn't really answer her question because it's, it's just the wrong question. But he answers like this, but the, he, the Lord says, but the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth. I hope we found that this morning here at Athey Creek. I hope people came ready to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I think that's both with song and with the word. Uh, as we worship in the word, as we worship in song, were you a worshiper or were you a observer? When worship happened this morning, hmm, that guitar is a little out of tune, hmm. Oh, Brookie's back, that's great. She's playing, is that a real piano? What's going on up there? Maybe you were doing that or you were worshiping the Lord and focusing, the Father in heaven is looking for those who will worship in spirit and truth. The third thing is the Father is looking for people to intercede, to stand in the gap, our text this morning. Ezekiel twenty two thirty. I sought a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me that I should not destroy it, but I found not, none. So this concept of standing in the gap, I wonder if the Lord would have us think about that. Is the Lord looking for people to stand in the gap today? You know, this idea of standing in the gap for unbelievers and sinners and people that are in trouble, well, that's a common theme throughout the Bible. There's a lot of people that stood in the gap. Moses is the definitive you know, answer, but there's other examples as well. Abraham was one who stood in the gap there in Genesis chapter 18. Remember when God says, hey Abe, I'm gonna crush Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone because they're, they're gonna be destroyed. And the whole chapter of Genesis 18 is Abraham sort of interceding on behalf of his nephew Lot who was living inside, oh Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And Abraham stood in the gap for Lot and Lot and his family ended up being saved. Standing in the gap. In the New Testament, there's an amazing story of, of Stephen, the deacon, the first Christian martyr in the early church. Remember all those guys, the Bible says they gnashed their teeth at him. They were like, we hate you. And they picked up rocks and they were gonna stone him to death. And they were. And the whole time, there's Stephen, as they're stoning him to death, glowing like a light bulb, the Bible says. 
And in Acts chapter seven, verse 60, Stephen starts to intercede for the stoners. For those of you that went to public school, I'm not talking about the kids that smoke cigarettes in the back. Um, these are the people that were picking up rocks, stoning Stephen to death. And what does Stephen do? <clears throat> he prays for them. He prays blessing upon them for salvation. That's standing in the gap for a bunch of sinners. Man, I'd be praying death to them all, Lord. May these rocks bounce off of me, and I don't feel them, and the rocks splatter into their brains and cause them all to die. That'd be my standing in the gap. But, but that's not what Stephen does. Like, Mildred, he's our pastor. Do that to people. Yeah, Stephen was a guy who prayed for their salvation. Um, Question, you know, I told you that Abraham, when he stood in the gap, Lot was saved. Was anybody saved from the stoner group that Stephen prayed for? Those of you that know your Bible, there was a young man standing in that crowd of stoners whose name was Saul, who was a hater of Christians. And because Stephen, I think, was part of that prayer, Stephen prayed, praying, standing in the gap, and we know at least one of them became not only a Christian, but became Saul who would be saved and become the apostle Paul. And perhaps the greatest spreader of Christianity in the history of the world. Standing in the gap, Paul himself stood in the gap. Um, the Jews were lost during the early church and Paul prayed in Romans chapter 10, verse one. He prayed, oh Lord, save Israel, even though they're blind and rebellious, save them. He prayed, standing in the gap for the Jews of that day. Now, by the way, there's a common thing with Paul and Moses when they stood in the gap. Moses prayed, interestingly enough, in Exodus 32. Moses prayed when he stood in the gap. There's something I didn't tell you about that. When Moses prayed this, he also said in verse 32 of chapter 32, uh, Moses said, yet now, if you will not forgive their sin, O Lord, if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. That's radical. How many of you would pray, let's just do an example here. How many of you would pray for someone that's, that's actually being mean to you or your enemy or someone you don't like? Think of a politician that you don't like. And I have to be general about it because some of you might be, okay, I got Trump in my mind now. Or some of you, Biden or Pelosi or Fauci or whatever. Think of the one that you hate the most. <laughs> All of them. I didn't ask for that. That's, that's extra... <laughs> extra information. Um, think of them now. And, 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 and now, would you pray this prayer? Lord, save them. Save them. And Lord, if you don't save them, I would rather go to hell. Like, do you have that kind of a passion for the unsaved? Lord, I'd rather go to hell. Because that's what Moses is praying for these people that hate him. Moses is saying, oh Lord, don't destroy them. And if you don't forgive them, then take my book, my life, my name out of the book of life. I don't think I could pray that for somebody, let alone an enemy. Paul the Apostle does the same thing there in Romans chapter nine, speaking about the Jews. Listen to what he says in Romans 9, three. Paul says, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. What's that? That's a way of saying, to be accursed from Christ means you're unsaved and you're going to hell. Paul said, I would rather go to hell and have the Jewish people get saved and come to knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'll go to hell if they'll all get saved. And these Jews, every time Paul would go speak at a crowd of Jews, they tried to kill him. They hated him. 
This is what it looks like to be a person standing in the gap. You see, as Christians, we've become really good at complaining about the politicians and complaining about all the homeless people with their trash and their tents and their syringes in Portland. And, and we say, man, these people, and we get all of it. But, but I wonder if the Lord is looking around saying, oh, if there'd be someone who would stand in the gap. Yeah, but Brit, they're just a bunch of drug addicts. Yeah, but do you realize that's what it means to stand in the gap, to, to find the unlovely to find the sinful and to find the, the failure and to find the ones who are headed for destruction and stand in the gap and pray intercessory prayer on behalf of them, praying for them. Could it be that the Lord is looking all over Portland for people to stand in the gap? Meanwhile, we're not standing in the gap. We're just laughing or hating or being mad. You see, this is where it starts getting more personal, not just Abraham, Stephen, and Paul, but you know, the best example of standing in the gap, if you ask me, is Jesus himself. One of my favorite examples of Jesus standing in the gap is Luke 23, 34. Remember when they pierced his hands with nails and his feet, crown of thorns beat him and plucked out his beard and spat upon him and made fun of him. And while they were doing all that, Jesus intercedes for those Roman soldiers that were doing that to him. He says, oh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's an example of standing in the gap for your enemies, for people you don't like, people that are wronging you or wronging culture and society. Jesus stood in the gap for those guys. And even better still, when Jesus died for the sins of the world so that we might be saved, instead of you going to hell, Jesus said, I'll take that for you. And that's why he died on the cross. But when he rose from the grave, he went and ascended into heaven. But the question is, what is Jesus doing in heaven? Well, as it turns out, Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25 tells us that Jesus ever liveth to do what? Anybody? Intercede. Make intercession for you and for me. That's standing in the gap. We're the wretched, miserable sinners. And there's Jesus. Now listen, I like having Abraham pray for me or Paul or Stephen, but when you have Jesus standing in the gap for you or for me, we're in good shape because Jesus is, is sinless, the perfect son of God who stands in the gap and will intercede on behalf of sinners like us. Man, I love that Jesus stood in the gap and I hope you are accepting of that because if you really wanna go to hell, you can reject Jesus and reject the love that he has for you and you can do your own thing and that, if you really want to, but man, God's done everything apart from forcing you to repenting of your sins, you've got to do that yourself. But Jesus stands in the gap so that anyone who would, anyone who would confess and believe in Jesus, they might be saved. And I love that Jesus is the ultimate one who stands in the gap for us. So then the question becomes, if Jesus does that for us and there's examples of standing in the gap in the Bible, what does this mean for you and me? Well, the Bible tells us that that's something we should do. In fact, it's 1 Timothy chapter two. You can jot it down in your notes. In 1 Timothy chapter two, verse one, it says, I exhort therefore that first of all, okay, so now keep in mind, this is old Paul giving young Timothy the, the, the mentor-mentee relationship. What are you gonna do as a pastor? Timothy was gonna be the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Tough gig. Ephesus was a tough gig. And Timothy, the young pastor, is going, Paul says, here's the first thing you gotta do. Number one, talk about tithes and offerings every Sunday because you'll need money. <laughs> nope, it's not what he said. First of all, Timothy, make sure that you have a great online presence 
so that you have a nice online crowd. Nope, not a deal. What, what, what was the priority? The priority was first, I exhort, exhort you therefore that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. That's the priority. First of all, this is what you gotta do, pray. And pray for all men, not just some men. See, you and I, if you're a Christian, it's easy to intercede for people we love. You know, we pray for people we care about. We pray for people we know that are sick or in trouble. And, and we do that because we love them. But intercession is not just for them. To stand in the gap is standing in the gap for the unlovely, for the people that you don't necessarily wanna hang out with. And that's why Paul says, Timothy, you gotta intercede and give thanks and it should be made for all, not just some, all men. Now this is interesting because as we read this and we look about that, um, we find that the Lord does something here in God's wisdom and his sovereignty. He's chosen to use the prayers of intercession of people to accomplish his will. That's an amazing thing for me. I worry that you and I, we've become a Christian culture in this modern day, in the last century really, because you can read it. You can read it in older writings. When I get a book that's over 100 years old, there was a sense that the Christian church prayed fervently for stuff. There was more of a prayer life that strikes me as it was more prevalent and more um, real and powerful. I feel like in modern churchianity today, we, we kind of say, God's sovereign, he's gonna do what he's gonna do, uh, so we don't need to waste our time and energy praying because things are just gonna happen the way they're gonna happen, whatever. Meanwhile, the Bible says pray a lot, but we blow that off. If we really believed in the power of prayer, wouldn't we be on our knees before the Lord often, maybe all day, every day? For some reason, prayer is something we're told to do and it's because the Lord says, I'm looking for someone. And in the Ezekiel case, he was looking for someone to intercede for those people. There was no one, so they were destroyed. Implication, the Lord, there was hope. If somebody would have stood in the gap as did Moses, somebody standing in the gap in Ezekiel's time, then maybe the Lord would have been able to save those people. I wonder if there's people that need to be saved that you and I have just neglected to stand in the gap for. The people at work that you work with. Oh, you don't know who I work with. They're a bunch of sinners, man. They're the last people on the planet that ever get saved. Oh, Brett, you know, in my high school, kids are really, they're, they're against God. Teachers, high school, man, no way. But are you willing to stand in the gap? Because you might just say Ezekiel's time period, those people were about as godless as it gets. But the Lord was saying, I'm looking for someone who will stand in the gap. Well, God can do whatever he wants to do. Well, that's true. But for whatever reason, in his sovereignty, he has turned over part of that responsibility to you and to me. The old saying a preacher once said is, without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. It's interesting, here's a question for you. Are there things that God cannot do? The answer is yes. Book of Hebrews says God cannot lie. In fact, I did a whole sermon once on all the things God cannot do. There's actually a long list of things. God can do everything. Nope, the Bible says he can't lie. But another thing that God, where the Bible says God couldn't do something, and even if you go to the original language, remember when Jesus went into Nazareth and they didn't believe in him? And the Bible says, and Jesus could not do miracles there because they would not believe in him. 
It didn't say Jesus would not do anything. No, it says he could not do anything there because of their unbelief. That's an interesting thing. And it seems like the Lord has, in his sovereignty, designed it by nature to say, it takes two. You gotta, you gotta be praying and I'll be there with the power, but those two things have to come together. It's like the Lord did this somehow. Uh, he wants to use you in that standing in the gap role. It's a little bit like, remember the old Crimson Tide movie from the 80s, the nuclear sub? Denzel Washington, Gene Hackman, I think, were those the, I think those were the actors. And, and they were gonna launch a nuclear missile and the whole world was gonna be destroyed. So they were like, ah, freaking out. But, but remember, there's, there's two keys, one for the captain, one for the you know, uh, executive officer, two keys. And they're like 12 feet apart so a guy can't reach and do two keys at the same time. It takes two guys to agree to launch those rockets. And, and here's the thing, you know, that was the movie as they were trying to decide, should we launch it? And they were disagreeing and all this. But as it turns out, God's got one key and a launch and you've got another key and a launch standing in the gap, praying for the unbeliever. And the Lord's saying, I'm here, ready to go. Power is right at your fingertip. I'm here with this one and I'm the one that's gonna make it happen. But I also need you to put your key in and flip the switch as well. That's what the Lord seems to be asking of you. And like in Ezekiel's case, there was no one to flip the switch. So the judgment and the wrath came down and those people were done. That's an interesting thing. Why does God want you and me to, to, to do it together with him? Why doesn't he just save people? Well, I, I don't know if I know all the answers as to why God needs you and me to pray, but I've got a few ideas that I know from the Bible. Like if you read the rest of the Bible, there's some hints. Like, like, let me just give you three things. Why does God want us to stand in the gap? I think number one, he wants to develop an intimate relationship with you. Um, he, he wants you to partner with him so that you can spend time with him. You parents know what this is like. When your kids are preschoolers and they, they bug you all day long, mommy, why is the sky blue? Mommy, can I have a cookie? Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. You're like, ah. But when they get into high school, you're like, hey, do you wanna hang out with us? Uh, you know, come on kids, hang out with us. And your kids are like, no, get out of here, mom. I'm sick of you. I almost wonder if the Lord kind of feels like that where, where he's, I just wanna spend time with you. I want you to come and ask me for stuff. And I wanna, I wanna talk to you and have intimacy with you. And I believe prayer, that's part of the reason God just says, I want you to be a part of what's going on. I'm not gonna just do this unilaterally by myself. That's part of God's divine design that he has made for humanity. He wants to develop an intimate relationship. Number two, he wants to do a work in you. By standing in the gap and praying for the unbeliever and praying for, praying for the, the hated, sinful, wretched, miserable sinner, guess what, the Lord starts to change you. Like I told you, when Moses first yelled at the people and called them a bunch of morons, that was the first Moses, but Moses starts to mature and now he gets to a place where he's praying for the people that hate him. He's not saying, you morons. He says, oh Lord, don't destroy these people. I wonder if the Lord wants to change you and, and, and change the way you think about stuff. Brad, I, I listen to a lot of talk shows and I'm angry at what's going on with the politicians today. And so-and-so needs to be thrown in prison. And these, you know, mayor of Portland, and look at the junk in the town, and look at, rah, rah, rah. And you can sit there and complain all day long, welcome to being like the children of Israel, murmur, murmur, murmur. Or you can stand in the gap and let the Lord change your heart as you pray for the, the person who's totally wacko. Praying changes you. I think 
Prayer is more about changing me than trying to move the hand of God. We think, God, we're trying to convince you to do something. No, God's like, I just need to work in your heart some, some. If there's somebody that you hate, the best way to stop hating is to pray for them. So he wants to do a work in you. That's part of this deal of standing in the gap. But number three, he wants to prepare us for, your, for a future work. The future work, yeah, check this out. You and I have responsibilities and after we are raptured and taken up into heaven and we, uh, you know, or after we die, we, we're gonna be uh, in heaven and we have a responsibility. It's Revelation chapter five. You see the church in heaven singing a song and part of the song sings about how the Lord, you know, uh, by his blood redeemed us uh, out of every tongue, people, nation, and kindred. But then the song continues, listen, and the Lord you have made us, the church, uh, uh, unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign upon the earth. In the future, if you're a Christian, when eternity comes, the Lord's gonna use us to rule and reign with him. He's the king of kings. We're gonna be sort of under shepherds, uh, under leaders. But the Lord's got a plan for you and a purpose. And I believe that part of this purpose of you being on earth is not to have a wonderful life here on this earth as much as it's boot camp. This life on earth is boot camp for what's coming for all eternity. And part of this deal of praying for the sinner and standing in the gap is part of, I think, of the Lord maturing you and preparing you for something bigger in eternity. How are you doing with your training? You know, when you see the Navy SEALs and the way they got to, you know, their, you know their, their training is insane. You know, you make these guys go in the pool and they swim across, carry some bricks and then they have to be pulled down by another guy. And, and you know, if you watch the, 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 some of the, you know, footage of these guys, many of them drown. And they'll pull them up on the pool and pump some water out of them and get them rolled over and they'll vomit a few times and, okay, get back in the pool. Uh, it's like, it's amazing what these guys have to go through. But why do they do that? Because they need to prepare these guys for the most crazy of circumstances. It doesn't get more crazy than going into battle, life for life, battle to the death. It doesn't get more serious than that. So we take our SEAL training very seriously. In some ways, I think we've got a, a, a thing that we don't even know we're training for. There, we should be training for all eternity. And the Bible teaches us what that's about. Part of that is he wants you to be that person that stands in the gap. Prayer, praying for those. Does the Bible, you know, by the way, uh, here I am trying to convince us all to pray and stand in the gap, but you know, the Bible, I really should just say it this way. We could have shortened this whole sermon. You're like, you should have. <laughs> I could have shortened it by this. The Bible says you should pray, so do it. Like I'm trying to convince us, hey, because of this and because of that, we should pray. But the Bible just says pray. Does the Bible say pray a lot? Does it talk about that a lot? Can I do some rapid fire? Here we go, let's do some rapid fire. Number one, Matthew chapter five, verse 44. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. That's, that's what Jesus told us, standing in the gap right there. Um, here's a tiny little phrase within a verse. Matthew 6, five, when you pray, implication, of course you're praying. The implication is, you, of course you're, you're praying. But I almost wonder if that's an assumption that no, we can't even make anymore because a lot of people just don't pray at all. Um, Matthew chapter six, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. 
It's an important thing. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. This is what the Bible asks of you and me, to be faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. How many occasions? All. By the way, one of the greatest disservices to prayer was when we thought that prayer was praying at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I think we... Where in the Bible does it really say you're supposed to bless the food? Well, it does say it, but it's such a minor message. And it says there in Timothy, you know, um, when you eat meat, eat it with thanksgiving. So there we do. Fold our hands and a long-winded, you know, windbag sits there at the front of the table and prays forever. What a waste of time. I'm sort of being facetious, but truthfully, when I eat meat, I eat it with thanksgiving. I really do. My whole meal is prayer time. I'm, oh Lord, thank you for this ribeye steak. Oh, it's, Lord, you're so good. And I, it's, but here's the thing. Um, the problem comes when you think you're a prayer warrior when you've blessed your meal. But no, when you pray, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but everything in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Too many people in watching their most trusted news source, Facebook or Instagram, and they think they're really riled up because they heard this and saw that. But, but I see a lot of anxiety. I, I don't see people at peace. I see people upset, angry. But the Bible doesn't say be angry or anxious. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Colossians chapter four, verse two, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray continually. Or the King Jimmy, you know, pray without ceasing. What do you think that's, you know, this is that scripture I shared you, you know, with you right at the beginning. I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. And the next verse, by the way, in verse two says, for kings and rulers who are in authority over you. That means your president and the speaker of the house, the leaders and rulers. You're supposed to pray for them. That's what the Bible says. So what's the point? The point is to pray. That's what you and I are called to do, to pray rather than complain, to pray rather than rally up support and march against this or that. Oh, if you wanna do that, that's fine. But the first of all thing is the, is the thing that the Bible says, first of all is to pray. Could it be that the Lord is looking for Portland, Oregon, a very lost city? Portland's become the joke of the nation. If you're not following, the whole nation's laughing at Portland right now, and rightfully so. But wouldn't it be something if the Christian church took this idea of standing in the gap? Because Portland is just like Jerusalem back in those days. I could, make, I could spend a whole day comparing what we just read in Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 23 through 31. I could spend the whole day showing you how point for point Portland, Oregon matches. And I wonder if the Lord is looking all over Portland saying, oh, if there'd only be someone who would stand in the gap and intercede on behalf of this lost wretched, miserable city that's headed for destruction. And I wonder if the, if the Athey Creekers that are watching online or if the Athey Creekers in this room, if we would all say, let's do this. Let's, let's give this to the Lord. He's the one with the power. He gave us the key and he's got a key. Let's turn the keys 
Turn with the Lord and see the power of the Lord. By the way, in Acts chapter one, the, the Christians were waiting up there and the Lord said, wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. The word power there is in the Greek word, it's the word dunamis. And I love that word because that's where we get our modern word, dynamite. What does the Lord say? I will put my Holy Spirit upon you and give you power, dunamis, boom, turn the key, launch the missile. Because you don't have the power, but God sure does. And God says, I wanna have you with me stand in the gap for the people that are lost in this world and release that power. See what the Lord might do. I believe a church that takes this seriously can be a church that's effective and, and, and important and powerful only by the grace of God. And that's what we so desperately need. May the Lord give you ears to hear, not just to hear, but to do that which the Lord has called us to do. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Oh Lord, how desperately we need to do what your word says. We get a sense, Lord, that we are living in the last days. And if that's true, these days we live in are so much like the time of Ezekiel the prophet. But I pray that you'd find a church ready to stand in the gap and pray and intercede. Lord, I know that there might be action that needs to be taken as well and stuff that we're supposed to do. But I know that first of all, we really need to be committed to just praying for those that are lost, praying for those that are rebellious and, and even not in any belief whatsoever. Lord, I do lift up the city that we live in that you would save souls. We do pray, Lord, for our government and our leaders. I pray that they would um, somehow hear from you and know you personally. I pray, Father, that you would cause their heart to be softened to, toward you and toward your word. Lord, that souls would be saved. We know you have every right, even as you did crush Sodom and Gomorrah and judge the world during the flood of Noah, as Jerusalem was crushed in 586 BC. That was times of total rebellion. And we know, Lord, you have every right to do that, even here today. But we pray as we stand in the gap, we pray for the unsaved, that they might come to know you, that they'd repent of their sins and, and turn and receive the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus. Lord, use your church however you will to preach that message that more and more people might come to know you. And this we pray in Jesus' name.